The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Yeah, it's called conversations with Jeff, not screaming matches. Yeah, I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism, but look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. When you should be out there winning people for Jesus, right? Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, we are back with uh, the second episode of Conversations with Jeff this week. Um, on Monday, we had on Carl Tykrib. Now, that was a blast talking to him about his recent experience at a uh, pagan convention up in uh, San Jose. Um, but I'm really excited about today. Uh, but first, right before we hop into uh, this podcast, first wanted to remind you as well, we just started shipping uh, our book, Social Injustice. So for everybody that uh, put it in an order already, that just went out on, uh, I believe, the last couple of days we've been shipping everything out. Uh, so you guys should be getting them pretty much any day now. If you have not ordered yet, you can go to socialinjusticebook.com. Essentially, the book is breaking down the issue of social justice like topic by topic and just breaking it down in depth. Each chapter is by an expert in that field. So everybody from Andy Woods, Ken Peters, Tom Littleton, Mike Spaulding, the list goes on and on. It was a blast putting together. And then we also announced at at the Destroy Social Justice Conference this last weekend that we are putting out our second book called Five Steps to Kill a Nation by Pastor Sam Jones. Um, and so if you want more information on that, you can pre-order that, gatekeepersonline.com slash store. Uh, so today, I'm really excited. We're bringing back uh, Pastor Greg Locke, who spoke at the Destroy Social Justice Conference. Uh, welcome, Greg, to our, your first time of conversations, and really glad we could sit down with you and, and chat and have a conversation. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me back. I really enjoyed the conference. I thought it was a a fascinating way to get the message out. So I, I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, well, you know, like that, I feel like that, that was the thing about putting together that conference is like originally it was just going to be like, oh, we'll do like a series of podcasts or something like that. And then it's like, oh, it'd be fun. It would be fun to do a live event. But then it's like, that's chaos trying to get everybody from all over the place in one, in one church or whatever it is. So I'm like, this seems like the best thing. And then we had technical difficulties, but they ended up working out perfect because we were on Facebook and it, I feel like God always works everything together, even if you don't understand it in the moment. 
always. And you just learn from it and do better next time. So it's going to be good. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, one of the cool things that I really liked about having you at the conference is I feel like you did like the perfect summary of the problem with social justice, but then also how to actually go out and actually beat the thing. Because I feel like right now there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of talk about the issue of social justice and the progressive and progressivism infiltrating into the church and everybody's complaining a lot and talking a lot, but there's not like a whole lot of like solutions. Like here's how, here's how you actually beat the thing. And I feel like I've had yeah. so many messages after the conference of people just saying like, now I feel motivated. I need to go talk to my pastor or I need to talk to, or I need to talk to my friends. And I feel like that was one of the really cool things coming out of the conference is actually hearing people saying like, I need to do something. Yeah, it just seems like it's a it's a lack of education on the subject. People hear it like social justice, and they get you know fifty eleven different ideas of what it is. But when you just simplistically educate people on what it is, they begin to see the erroneous ideas. They begin to see the fallacy. And so I think the conference kind of put our foot in the door, if you will, to educate people as to what it is and what it's not to make it a little bit more simplistic. People are like, hey, we need to do something about this because it's overtaking the real message. Right, right. And the interesting thing about you, I feel like, is you've really been talking about a lot of this kind of stuff for several years, especially on like Facebook and social media and things like that. And that's, that's really kind of, you know, it's, I mean, obviously you've got a, like a lot of people listening to your, watching your videos, listening to what you say, but really you've been commentating on a lot of these issues, whether it's in the secular world or the Christian world. So like as a pastor and you're trying to decide, okay, I'm guiding my church. I'm trying to point them in the right direction. Are you focused more on what you're seeing in the culture or more what you're seeing in the church, or is it really a good combination of both? It's really an amalgamation of both because our videos were very organically created, if you will. Uh, I didn't really get into social issues. I was doing just daily devotionals for our church, really, and I did one video uh, called I'm Coming Out of the Closet uh, when they instituted gay marriage in the Supreme Court, and man, bonkers viral. And I thought, well, maybe I've got something here. And so then I started fighting Planned Parenthood. And, and of course, you know, then they, they sent me 5,000 letters of donations in my name. And that was before I knew who Ken Peters was and all of that. And so I, I boxed them all up. And I flew to Washington and went right to the door of Planned Parenthood and dumped them all there and did a Facebook Live. And so people are like, oh, wow, things are, things are starting to pick up, you know, for this guy politically. And so then, you know, some White House things kind of transpired. You have the whole Target transgender bathroom thing. That, that one right there really – uh, put us on the map. That, that was Fox News and CNN and all of that. But really, I was just kind of beating the drum and getting people to understand we need to preach the gospel. And because the gospel is the lens through which we view the culture, these things really do matter. And we really need to preach the gospel and not make such a uh, an overboard statement, if you will, of let's compromise, let's soften our tone, let's dampen our message. Because like everybody said in the conference, including myself, people just want a voice. People are just hungry for somebody that will just open their mouth and say it. We've all said in services where we thought, just say it, guy. Just say it. And when somebody just says it, it's kind of the wow factor. And so really a lot of our social media ministry has been built on the, the bold factor, if you will. And, and it just works, and God honors it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like when 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 you first started going out and you first started like like when you when you took on the whole target situation, right? Obviously, that's it's a very controversial issue to be dealing with. But at the same time, as believers, we do need to bring clarity to that issue. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes there can be criticism of a lot of Christians where they're saying, "Okay, you're going too strong because those people are hurting. They're struggling. Um, Like, how how do we wait? How are we supposed to weigh that when we're like, okay, we want to love the people. But at the same time, we can't condone 
their sin or their struggle or anything along those lines. So where where is that balance when you're trying to figure out, okay, we need to confront this issue? Well, we know Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. The problem is the church wants to speak love that's contrary to the truth. And you and I know, especially if somebody has kids, you love your kids, and so you tell them the truth. And so I teach our church, look, we don't have to be jerks for Jesus. We don't have to be uh, so overly abrasive that people can't even listen to us. I I think the difference, I think when people realize how serious I was, is when you watch the Target video, it's just, you know, it's real, it's raw. People like the extemporaneous nature of my videos. They're not real produced or things like that. There's times for that, and I have a show for that. But I'm like out in the parking lot, oh, my goodness, you know, you, you people must be smoking dope or something. And so people look at that and are like, man, this guy's abrasive. And so they just assume that when I get on Fox News, you know, with Neil Cavuto and, and several different people that I'm going to be like, you know, Westboro Baptist Church or something like that. But when they walked away from me communicating well and being poised and being calm and being compassionate, yet being extraordinarily direct, you know, you wouldn't believe how many messages I got from people that are like, oh, man, we thought that was going to be a debacle and you were going to make a clown out of evangelicalism. And they're like, man, you really held yourself. You really composed yourself well. And so I think people are just looking and it's not that I'm the, the greatest voice. It just works, though, because people come to our church from all over the country just really to hear a message because they want to hear somebody that's going to say something, somebody that's going to be bold, somebody that does have a platform. And I tell people, you know, I never looked into being Facebook famous. You know, I didn't, I didn't ever look into having 300,000 followers on TikTok and, you know, Twitter and Instagram. I never went after that. It just happened. And what I'm finding is, yeah, we get a lot of death threats and we get a lot of hate mail and our church gets protests and pickets and we get glitter bombs in the mail on a weekly basis. We get all kind of crazy stuff. You know, I get postcards that I could never share, uh, you know, on air because they're, they're, they're highly embarrassing. We have to have a, a decent security team at our church and all of that. And you hate it. But at the end of the day, our church is growing by leaps and bounds because people are like, wow, this is a pastor that gets it. And he's not afraid to say it. And I'm finding that our church is growing because of it. It's not decreasing because of it. Our ranks are growing because people are hungry for somebody that understands the issues and they can articulate the issues and they're not willing to compromise the truth. I want to be bold and biblical. I don't want to be all, you know, so in your face that I turn people away. But there is a time that we have to not compromise. I was at NRB today, the National Religious Broadcasters Network, and I was giving some interviews and things. And, you know, I think we have to realize we're living in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody's bowed down to the altar of political correctness. You know, oh, great PC, you know, we've got to to bow down to you. We can't hurt anybody's feelings. And I think the church world is tired of that. I believe the millennial culture is tired of that. They might not even understand fundamental doctrine, but when they hear it, they know the difference. And they want somebody to step up to the microphone and give them the truth. They're hungry for the truth. And, And I believe that with all my heart. Yeah, we'll see, like, that, that's the interesting thing I feel like about, like, millennials, which I tend, like, I think age-wise, I'm technically millennial, I never feel like one, it's very weird, (laughs) very weird thing, but, but I feel like one of the things about modern day culture is that a lot of times it's not the millennials that are complaining about PC, it's the older people complaining about PC on behalf of the millennials, and that's where the interesting conversation starts to happen, is it's like, we actually want to proclaim the truth. Like if you look at most of the of the leftist protesters, they're all millennials. And they'll, they'll yeah. speak what they believe to be true very strongly and that sort of thing. And then for whatever reason, it's like on the conservative side, there's this kind of like pietist mentality of, well, we don't want to get too involved in the in the political world. We, do, we mm-hmm. just need to preach the gospel. And I feel like that's this weird kind of place we're in right now of the anti-social justice crowd 
they're all to, they're also right. a very pietist crowd, which again, it's a very yes. weird thing. I feel like. Yeah, it, it's a strange balance. But what people don't realize is if we don't call out wicked politics, if we don't stand up and speak our voice, then we're not going to have a platform to preach the gospel. And ultimately, the gospel is what we want to preach. It is the power of God and salvation, Romans teaches. But there's going to be no platform for it if we don't get bold about some of these issues and really just start beating the drum and letting people know we are not going to be silenced. You see, the left knows and the devil knows that if we ever come together as the body of Christ and we really unify and we really trust God and his word and, and take his word for its authoritative source that it is, we could have anybody in the office we want to. We would never have a problem. Uh, we, we would we would run this country initially, and they know that, and they don't want us to be together. They want us to be fragmented, and so it, it's sad that the body can't get along as a body. But at the end of the day, you know, my story is what I'm sticking to. I'm going to keep being bold. I'm going to keep being biblical, and you know, wh- whoever it chaps, it chaps. It's just it's who I am by nature. I'm a fighter by nature. I'm a very confrontational person when there's a camera in my face, but I'm not that way in my office. You know, I'm very very docile and just just very. You know, type A kind of big personality in public and just kind of this little hillbilly, you know, just kind of a backwoods guy in my office. I just love people. I want to work with broken people. We work with the homeless and addicts and people in our community, you know, putting their homes and their marriages back together. That's who I am as a shepherd. But you put a camera in my face, you put me on Facebook, bam, all of a sudden I get a, a rod iron backbone and I'm, I'm ready to fight and I'm ready to go. And I think people, they like that. You know, they're, they're looking for somebody that can just beat the drum and kind of lead the charge, as it were. Yeah, well, see, like, that's the thing is, like, even, like, we we spent the longest time out here in California trying to find, like, a good church. And, and luckily, we, we were eventually able to find one. But it was really hard because the, the majority of the churches out here are either offshoots of TBN they're offshoots yeah. of uh, Rick Warren with Saddleback, or even yeah. there's some there's like a lot of leftover with Driscoll, where at least he's this more, little bit more of like a stronger figure, that sort of thing. But at the same time, there wasn't a whole lot of strong like this is truth, this is not truth, yeah. and and it's like there's everybody's so afraid to just say, "Thus saith <laughs> the Lord." And I yeah. don't I don't get that from pastors. I don't understand why pastors can't just say, "This is what God Word says." And so yep. thus we're going to do it. Like, what do you think is contributing to that? Well, I think part of the problem is there's such shallow preaching and teaching of the Bible in the day and age in which we live. A lot of people would look at my little snippets and, you know, and most people that follow us would only know me through my little two or three or five minute snippets. But then all of a sudden the, the magic to it, the beauty behind it is when they find our live stream. And when we get them over to Global Vision Bible Church, we get them away from just Pastor Greg Locke, social media personality over to the church. And then they're watching our word by word, verse by verse, same bat time, same bat channel. Every week I'm preaching straight through books of the Bible. We just got out of Ephesians. It took us two and a half years, you know, and people are like, man, that's that's going to be boring. And it was so lit. I mean, it was just so on fire. I'm preaching right now verse by verse and word by word chronologically through the 38 miracles of Jesus. And it's got our church set on fire. And I think the problem is people just don't rely on the scriptures. You know, everybody wants to do, well, it's summertime, so let's have a go to the movies, you know, series in our sermons and just preach little topical messages. And I'm convinced that the word by word, healthy application and interpretation of the Bible changes people's lives. And people are hungry for that. But as you said, you just can't find it. And and when you preach that way, it takes the thinking out of it because I don't have to pick on you. The Holy Spirit's going to use his word to convict you. 
Okay, it just happens to be the next verse. I didn't make it up. I didn't see you walk in the back door and change my message all of a sudden because the Holy Spirit told me to. No, the very next thing in the verse is what's going to you know, convict you, is what's going to nail you to the wall, as it were. And I think there's just a lack of men that trust the Bible. They trust GoldenNuggets.com. They trust something coming on TV. They trust some Facebook preacher or whatever. we got to get to where we trust the reality of God's Word. It is the only authority we have. And people say, you know, why is your church growing? You know, why, why does social media work for you? We have one gimmick. We preach the Bible. That's it. Word by word, verse by verse. You, you know where I'm going to be next week because it's the exact same place I stopped this week. And we're always picking up right where we left off. And every week, you know what I find? Every week it meets people right where they are. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to fake it till I make it. Just preach the authority of the word of God and God's word always does it. But I think pastors, I think they have a, a lack of trust in the authority of the book. Yeah, which is which is crazy to me. It's like this is this is literally God's word. Like we're not even just saying like, oh, this is like a this is like a historical book about God. Like this is literally God's word, and pastors can't yep. even like preach the thing. They've got to they've got to you know like so uh, the first, when I was I was a worship leader in a church in Arizona, and uh, the pastor there he would always make a big deal about how he he would always slave over his sermons, right? And then it comes to find out he's actually buying his sermons from Ed Young. With all the graphics, <laughs> everything, and then it's yeah. and literally, I, f- I found the his exact notes, and it literally was fill in story here, and then here's the yeah. here's everything, and I'm just like, that's not preaching God's word, you know. And then I would go to a pastor's conference where they would teach you, like when you're preaching, you're actually walking your congregation through your study, you're explaining to them how yeah. you got to that place. This is what God's word says, and you're you're leaving it up to God's word and taking yourself out of it. And I'm just like. Yeah. Why don't more pastors understand this? You know, it's just, again, it's just mind boggling to me. And when people hear it, they love it. They resonate with it because, you know, as Spurgeon said, it's a sin to make the Bible boring. I was actually preaching in California uh, about three years ago at a a very, very large church that most people on the podcast have heard of it before, a big non-denominational church. And they have a Thursday night service, and there's probably 3,000 people in a Thursday night service. It's unheard of, and it's, it's on fire, and they got great music. You know, it's a very eclectic group of people. And uh, I preached from John chapter number 8, verse by verse by verse, through like 12 verses, just right on down. And I mean, the people were on their feet, and they were clapping. And I'll never forget, I went to dinner with the pastor afterwards, and he said, Brother Lot, he's like, I'll be honest with you, we have had hundreds of speakers come through this church, and some of them get our people on their feet like you did, or some people just, you know, get a little clap or whatever. He said, we've had some great communicators. He said, we have never, ever had anybody just come in and take a whole passage and just develop it verse by verse by verse by verse. And I thought, how tragic. This is a mega church that has no idea what expository preaching even is. And when I did it, the church was set on, they loved it. I mean, they they would gobble that up every week. But we have so much Skittles and unicorn and cotton candy popcorn preaching that, you know, pop psychology, motivational gurus is what we have basically on the stage in the modern day landscape of the church. And it's sad, but that's just what it is. That's the mega church movement yeah and i'm finding that people are hungry for the bible and so i'm just going to stick with the word of god because it's what does the job yeah yeah well and, and again like like i think what we're both saying too is like there there is a hunger for god's word out there and and i think that mm-hmm. you and you see that when pastors actually do take a stand all these all these other people will actually come flocking to that pastor because it's like the only pastor in that area that's actually preaching god's mm-hmm. word and it's like if right. more pastors would realize that Maybe we wouldn't be in the position that we're in right now, not only in the church, 
but in our culture, in our society, because there, it, there really is very minimal preaching of the gospel anymore. Right. You know, yeah. like, like I've seen videos, you'll go out and preach the gospel. And I know, you know, Ken Peters, our friend will go out and preach the gospel on the streets. You know, I've got several yeah. friends that'll do that. But in the grand scheme of things right now, it's either you've got people that only stay in their local churches or they go out in their Westboro Baptist. There's not really a whole yeah. lot of in the middle, like, we're just going to go out and do what God's word tells us to do. Exactly. And, and I'm telling you, when you do that, people resonate towards it. People are hungry. People are not only hungry for the truth, they're hungry for somebody to just lead them in that direction. People really would get out of their comfort zones if pastors would lead them out of their comfort zones, you know. And so, you know, I don't think we have to have all these gimmicks. You know, a, a couple of years ago, I, I, I guess it's been about three years ago now, something like that, maybe two and a half. Uh, we, we had an associate here in our church, and uh, and I regret it. He, he taught me into having one of these days where he's like, hey, let's give away a big screen TV for you know, for the for the person that brings the most visitors, man, I got more heat over that. I didn't even want to do it. It wasn't my idea. And I thought, okay, we're just going to go with it and see. And it was stupid. It was unbelievably stupid because it's the only time I ever felt like that I got gimmicky at church, you know. And and people did articles about it and all that kind of stuff. And nonetheless, it was a it was a fall down the steps, blow up in your face, kind of learn your lesson. Because what I'm finding is this is all we need. I'm telling you, the Word of God does the work. The power of the Holy Spirit, some plant, some water, some so, but it's God that gives the increase. And if preachers really believe that, they wouldn't be up till midnight on Saturday night. Oh, what do I preach on tomorrow? What do I, you preach the Bible tomorrow, okay? You pick up where you left off and you teach people line by line, word by word. You give people an understanding of the scriptures so they know who God is. And I'm convinced. I, I don't know how it is out in California, but uh, down here in the Bible Belt, which needs a new buckle, you know, everybody's heard about being born again and being saved. Nobody knows what the gospel is. You ask people, what's the gospel? And you're going to get social gospel answers. Well, you know, clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and taking care of the homeless and helping the addicts. And I go to church and I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. There's none good but one. That's God. Okay. Nobody knows the gospel. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection. A couple of Easter's ago, we walked around and we did a video with our staff. And uh, there's a mall down here called Providence in our area. And we just put a microphone in front of people's face. What's the gospel? You go to church? Yeah, we go to such and such church. Uh, what's the gospel? Uh, 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 you get the baptistic porky pig syndrome, right? People have no idea what the gospel is. And I think by and large, it's sadly because pastors, they themselves don't truly preach the word. They don't truly preach the gospel. And, and what we're finding in our church, I mean, we call it Global Vision Bible Church. For It's not Global Vision Facebook Church. It's Global Vision Bible Church, and people come, and every single week they walk out and like, wow, the Word of God is so powerful. The Word of God is so practical. It's not just some book of prophecy. It's not some antiquified book that belongs in some you know basement in the Vatican with chains wrapped around it. It is so up-to-date. It's more up-to-date than tomorrow morning's New York Times headlines. I mean, it's so fresh. It's so real, and when people absorb that like spiritual sponges, we're watching them grow. We're watching chains fall off. We're watching people get born again. The baptismal water is being stirred. That's church growth. It's not all the gimmicks. It's not going to all the conferences. And I've been to all the conferences. I've spoken at a number of them. I'm telling you, it's the Bible. We got to get back to the Word of God. Yeah, no, that's very true. And you know, one of the things that really you know made me realize that a lot of the church just like we were saying about social justice earlier, a lot of the problem is that the people don't understand what's actually going on. They don't understand what it is that they're actually supposed to believe. And so there was the uh, documentary that came out that Bill Maher put out called Religious. And I remember watching that, mm -hmm. and a lot of my friends were like, no Christian should ever watch that. We need to protest that. And for me, watching that was an eye-opener to me, really, to understand 
we we as the church in general don't actually understand our faith. We don't uh, we don't actually right. understand what we believe. <laughs> He's asking basic Sunday school answers, and they don't know how yeah. to answer. And for me, that's yeah. really what started me on this quest of trying to figure out what do I actually believe? Like, how do we back it up? Everything's got to be rooted in scripture. If something's true out there, it should be able to be backed up. And I feel like that's something that I feel like pastors could do better at right now in the church is because it's like people are showing up. They're hearing a great little message and then they go home. They don't understand their faith. And it's like, like right. you're saying, if you're actually preaching God's word, you're, you're, you're going to go home transformed and you're going to actually learn something. Yeah, I mean, the greatest responsibility I have as a shepherd is to feed the sheep, to feed the flock of God, which is among us, Acts chapter 20. That is my primary responsibility. As a matter of fact, from a money standpoint, it's the only thing that the Bible says that the preacher really ever gets paid for because the servant is worthy of his hire and not to muzzle the ox and all of that. And so when a man of God steps in the pulpit, he should preach what the Bible says. And, And like you said, not only are people looking for that, it's so hard to find. You know, we have a saying around here, a church alive is worth the drive. And and I think there's going to come a day, if we're not already there, that if you're going to put your family in a church that really stands on the principles of God's word, you're going to have to burn a lot of gas. You're going to have to drive a lot of miles because there's a lot of churches in this area. You could pop up an umbrella and hit five of them. Most of them are splinters and splits off of splinters, but there's not a lot of good sound. And we're not the only one in town, but there's not a lot of good sound, real gospel-centered, we're going to preach the Bible and let the rest of it just fall where it may. I mean, we have great music. We have a good children's program. We have a little rinky-dink building. We may have a massive live stream and, you know, three million people that follow us, you know, on our social media stuff. But at the end of the day, people come because the Bible's being taught. And they're so hungry for that. And uh, and I love it. I mean, it, it's, it's the desire of my soul is to study the Bible and be well-prepared, not ill-equipped, but well-prepared to disciple the people in our church so that when they walk out, they, they feel like they've been fed from the table of God's Word. Right, right. Now, with with a lot of this push that we've been seeing, like like for example, with like the Gospel Coalition and the Southern Baptist Convention, and there's really this push of going like further and further left. Like literally, guys like Russell Moore and uh, Tim Keller and these guys, they literally yeah. sound like they sound like Bernie Sanders or AOC, and that's coming uh-huh. from like within within Christianity. And it's and for me, it's like as a pastor, and you're looking at that, it's like how do people that are supposedly conservative accept this kind of thing within the church and just say, well, you know, we may disagree a little bit, but they're still conservative. They're still solid Christians and that sort of thing. Like you as a pastor, it's like, how, how, how are you supposed to be confronting that kind of a thing? Yeah, well, uh, they're not conservative. <laughs> Those guys are going way out in left field. They're drawing a lot of people with them. And I mean, they, they can say what they will, that ERLC and all that stuff. There's some George Soros money flying around. There's a lot of liberalism. There's a lot of leftism. And I mean, it's almost like these guys at one time were such ardent students of the Bible and stood so, you know, theologically strong. And it's like they're just being pulled away by every wind of doctrine. And again, it is like AOC. It is like Bernie Sanders. It's like listening to a democratic debate when you hear these guys talk and they try to make it so spiritual. They, they, they so shroud it in gospel talk that an immature believer would think, oh, wow, this is the real deal. This, this is super legit. But it's bogus nonsense at the end of the day with no power, with no pizzazz. And all it is is nothing more than, you know, biblicized socialism. That's all it is. And I mean, and they're, they're taking the power of the local church. They're taking the power of the gospel. And they're just basically trying to infiltrate the church with just democratic leftist. It's nonsense. And as you, you know, we talked about the abortion issue, the environmentalism, all these social justice 
you know, issues that become social injustice, as your book talks about. And it's simply because, you know, the church now thinks these things are so equal to the gospel. These things are equal to the red hot preaching of the Bible. Well, if you're going to preach through the Bible verse by verse, there's topics and social issues that you're going to have to hit, that you're going to have to deal with, you know, from a biblical perspective. But they've made these issues, racism and the rest of it, on par and like I said the other night, I think they just keep poking the bear. They just keep bringing up issues, bringing up issues. If they just leave it alone, this mess would go away. But it's like the fake news media, and people are just swallowing this stuff hook, line, and sinker because superheroes of the evangelical faith are are making them believe this stuff. And you just boil it all back, and all they're doing is wearing a de- democratic mask. I, I know that's a long way around the barn to answer your question, but it, it's just foolishness. It's just it's straight up Christian liberalism. They know such thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like you know. With, <laughs> Like, like when I opened up my talk for the Destroy Social Justice Conference, like I quoted uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC. I, you know, read two quotes of theirs, and then I read two quotes: one from Tim Keller, and then uh, one from oh, was it Tabidi? I think it was. And and like literally, <laughs> if you just change the names around, you wouldn't know who gave what quote. Yeah. And like that's that to me, I think is the dangerous part of it too, is because like we're looking at these guys that are supposed to be a part of an organization that's called the gospel coalition. And then they're bringing in all this leftist progressive, uh, democratic uh, ideas. And again, like you're saying, kind of shrouding it in with the gospel, hiding it behind this term, the gospel. And they're making it seem like all these issues, like same sex attraction, dealing with illegal immigration, dealing with these secret racist motivations in your heart. That's all having to do with the gospel. Clearly it's not. But then how how do we as the conservative Christians articulate that's not the gospel, this is, because they're they're intertwining everything so much. Yeah. Again, I think it's an education process. It's We have our work cut out for us, there's no doubt, especially to the bigger guys that do have those big voices. They are swaying a lot of people. But, I mean, when you like you said, if you just swap the names, I had one of them reach out to me a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago uh, on Twitter and uh, people would know who it is. And, and I mean, they ripped me a good one because I called out the Pope. And they're like, oh, we're supposed to be bringing the body together. And I'm like, well, the, the Pope, man, this guy is filled with the most leftist, uh, godless, anti-Christian rhetoric you could ever imagine. And they're mad at me because I said something about I want to shake the Pope's hand and look him square in the eye and say he's the biggest false prophet that I've ever met. And they're like, oh, you can't say that. That's so unchristian. And I'm like, ah. I know there's a line. I know there's a balance. I know we have to speak the truth in love, but that doesn't mean we have to amalgamate and hodgepodge in and just case Sarah, Sarah. And here's what happens. Anytime you want to bring up Trump, it doesn't matter. He's the most pro-Bible, pro-Israel, pro-life, you know, pro-America president we've ever had. Bring all that up. And here's what these guys will say. Kids are in cages on the border. Kids are in cages on the border, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm so tired of that straw man argument. It is unbelievably ridiculous. And they're literally going to burn a whole denomination to the ground because they honestly think like little dogs. He's got these kids in these cages on the border. They've not even been down to the border. They have no idea what's going on at the border, but they're just listening and spinning these leftist democratic, you know, ideas and and ideologies. And so I just think it's a reeducation process. The more we stand up and we preach what the Bible says, I think the more people will see through this through this nonsense. I think what they're doing has very short legs. I don't think it's going to go very far. I think they're going to destroy their own movement. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot, and uh, and they're they are absolutely destroying the credibility of the convention itself. And it's not just the the SBC that's doing it, but they're going to destroy their own credibility, and it's going to split. And it's going to fragment all over the place. But because they can't come together, they just can't. 
Right, right. Well, you know, and I, and I think what's what's happened, too, is that for whatever reason, they're telling the conservative Christians, you need to have this pietist attitude and you don't get involved in politics. And then secretly, they're telling all the leftist progressives, get involved in politics. And, you know, there's organizations yeah. like like the Ann campaign that Thomas Littleson has, has like written about and exposed and things like that. That's basically run by one of Obama's uh, f- former uh, surrogates, I think, or, you know, something like that, where he's out actually pushing the president obama ideals out there within the church and there's all these different things they're being active but then you've got guys like john MacArthur that are gonna that are gonna say romans 13 Mm -hmm. says we don't get involved in politics we just submit we just go along and we don't distract ourselves with politics because that's this earthly thing so then it's like Mm -hmm. how do we combat that kind of a thing because that's a whole other hurdle to tackle on our own side yeah, I think it's a massive hurdle, but I mean, every bucket sits on its own bottom. And so, you know, I don't know what MacArthur's going to do and what John Piper and some of these guys are going to do, but I'm going to stay involved because what I'm finding is it really is making a difference. We we are swaying a lot of people in the right direction. I mean, let, let's face it, regardless of what people think politically, social justice, whatever, we are one election away from losing everything that we truly believe in as a nation. Just one election away. I mean, so many millions, millions of evangelicals didn't even vote in the last election, and the left knows that. And so really, they don't care anything about, you know, as far as people hopping the wall or people coming over here, you know, and and bringing people to America. What what they want is uh, voter importation. Okay, that's what they're looking for, because the only way the, the Democrats can win is to cheat. Okay, there is no way in the world, barring a sovereign move of God, which I think Trump is that, but barring a, a, a sovereign move of God, I do not believe there is any way possible that anyone can stand against what's going to happen in November uh, in 2020. They're not going to be able to win. I believe God has raised him up for such a time as this. And, and people, they hate that kind of talk. How in the world could you support him? Well, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I'm going to stay heavily involved. Matter of fact, this year, I'm going to be a whole lot more involved. I was having some political meetings just a couple hours ago at NRB. And the Lord is really opening some amazing doors, like Paul said he would. He'll open doors no man can shut, shut doors no man can open. And I'm watching him just, just put massive, huge opportunities right before me. And unless the Holy Spirit tells me otherwise, unless the Bible shows me I'm in disobedience, I'm going to walk through those doors because I believe we have got to get involved in the process. And if we don't get involved in the process, it's going to get worse than it is. We are not where we are because Christians have been loud. We are where we are because Christians and the church has been silent. And that is a pastoral problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in the Bible says we're supposed to be light shining in darkness. But if we never go into the mm-hmm. darkness, how are we supposed to be that light? And I feel like I feel like that's part of the problem with this whole mentality that a lot of the conservative Christians have is we stay so far removed from the culture and that we, we're going to try to bring the world into us instead of us going out into the world. You know, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether, you know, whatever it is, it's like we're supposed yeah. to be missionaries going out, not just saying we're going to be in our own little bubble and then we're going to invite you if you look and sound and talk like us into our little group and then maybe we can share the gospel with you. It's this weird, again, everything is just so weird and backwards. I just don't understand what the heck is going on here. <laughs> yeah, something's going on. <laughs> They're not thinking is what it is, because we do have a responsibility to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, nowhere in the Bible does it say, come into our building because our sign asks you to. But I can show you where it says, leave the building and go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Yeah, yeah. Now, now clearly, as an understatement, you are a Trump supporter. And so... so, yes. oh, so yeah. <laughs> 
So, so, that, so then when somebody comes to you, because this is the, this is the biggest thing that that happens, and everybody everybody says this, but they come to you and say Trump is not a moral man. He's had affairs. He's you know he's cheated. He's done shady business deals. He's done all these different kinds of things. How how could this be God's you know gift to America in order to save America when he himself is a flawed, sinful human being? Like how do how do you how do you as a pastor respond to those kinds of claims of how can you support a president like that? A couple different ways. Number one, God can use anybody he wants to because that's what makes him God. But at the end of the day, what people don't realize is. You know, he did have some very vulgar tapes. I mean, he did. He said some very vulgar things. He's done some very risque things through the years. We know that. It's public knowledge. There's no doubt about that. He is, his language has been unbelievably coarse. He's, he's been, you know, there's been times he's been a cheat. Now, the thing about that is, number one, he's owned up to all of it, whether he was caught or not, because of it, he's owned up to all of it. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, you know, I, I know people have spoken to his life. I know that people have talked about him, you know, coming to, to faith in Christ and he's just a baby immature Christian and he's growing and all of that. I, I don't know where he is in his faith. I do believe he's on a journey. I do believe the Lord is working in his heart one way or the other. He's either really, really close to the gospel or he is just a, a, a new babe and he's trying to figure it all out. But here's what I do know. Since he has made those claims and since he has made a claim to know the Lord Jesus, uh, he's not done any of those things. That he's blamed for. Now, here's the problem. We as believers, we're like, oh, yeah, God can forgive you from adultery. He can forgive you if you murder. Also, Paul did that. He can forgive you from your background. He can do all of that. And we believe that in every context except that of our president because he doesn't talk the way that he used to talk. You're not going to find those videos and those undercover tapes anymore. He's not talking about women the way that he used to talk about women. He's not cheating people. If anything, he's overly sacrificial. He's overly benevolent. He's overly generous. And so all of those things that he used to do, number one, yeah, he owned up to it. And number two, we've not seen him do not even an ounce of any of that since he's been to a place where he said, hey, I had a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so either conversion changes a person or it doesn't. And if it can't change Donald Trump, then it can't change Greg Locke or anybody else. Because, of course, we believe that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So I tell people, give the man a chance. Let him move forward. you got to give him a clean slate like you gave yourself. And plus, you know, I've been saved and preaching for 28 years. I didn't get here overnight. He's not going to get there just like that, plus all the pressure that he's under. And he does have a lot of different, you know, evangelical voices. He has a broad spectrum of evangelical voices that are speaking into him. And it takes a long time to mature through something like that. But did he do all those things? Yes. Were they despicable? Yes. Do I condemn them? Yes. But do I believe he repented? And do I believe now he is moving forward and he's not done any of that? Absolutely. And so we've got to give him a chance to grow in his faith just as much as we give other people in our churches a chance to grow in theirs. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. And, and, I, and I think what, like one of the criticisms of him is, is that, like, and like you were saying, he's got like this broad group of you know Christian leaders that are around him. I mean, you've got Paula White, which has said some pretty crazy outlandish things, especially like as of late. Um, but, right. but, I, but one of the things that I keep saying is that – and I've and I've said this in regards to Trump, in regards to Kanye West, and some of these other you know suppose you know people that are supposedly becoming Christians and that sort of thing. This, it's not the solid pastors that are rushing to them. It's it's the Joel Olsteins, it's the yeah. Paula Whites, it's the people that could be bad influences on them that are rushing and latching onto them. So why would you sure. be surprised that they're going along with what they're saying when 
sure. the supposed guys that are supposed to be preaching the, the one true God's word refuse to go over and try to mentor them and counsel them and things like that. So I feel like that's sure. kind of contributing to this whole thing as well is like the John MacArthur's and the Gospel Coalition guys and that sort of thing. They're not rushing to Trump to try to influence him and help him along the way, but they'll sit from afar and say, how dare he hang out with Paula White? Yeah, exactly. You're right. And, and it is a lot that, that that shallowness of some of the people that's around him. Now, to Trump's credit, and, uh, and and I'm in really close with a lot of these folks, to his credit, he really has started to surround himself with, with almost an entirely different group. Now, I know there's a very charismatic group and there's, you know, the very loose group, again, evangelically, that he's surrounded himself with. But there are some people that would be uh, – of our ilk, if you will, that would be very, very strong and very, very conservative and very, very uh, fundamental and expositional in their doctrine that he has started to surround himself with. And so I'm, I'm just praying the Lord works on his heart. But, you know, I, I said it in the online conference, you know, this past Saturday. You know, we wonder how can this guy who has all these problems and all these marriages, how could God ever use him to be a leader? Well, you know, Samson was in bed with a harlot when the spirit of God came mightily upon him. And used him, and his parents are like, how in the world could this happen? But what they didn't know, the Bible says in the book of Judges, is that God was using him as an occasion against the Philistines so he could raise up victory on behalf of the Israelites. And so, you know, this is a moment where I believe God has put this man in a place to guard, if you will, the things that we hold sacred. I mean, who in the world else are we going to vote for that's going to that's going to love life? It's going to love babies. It's going to love Israel the way that we do. It's going to give us the rights. I know he's got to be open-minded and broad-scoping in the whole you know, religious liberty. But who else has given evangelicals more rights and allowed us to keep more opportunities to preach the gospel than Donald Trump? Nobody. And there's not one person on the ticket that even comes close. You know, 2024, Kanye West is going to run. Maybe he'll do it. But, but at the end of the day, I'm telling you. Trump is the man for the minute, and there is no clearer option, okay? There is no option that is more clear than Donald Trump, and I, I don't understand why these never-Trumpers can't, can't get that. Yeah. Now, you know, we, have a, we have a question from somebody on Facebook, and they, and they ask, what are your thoughts on Trump's support of the LGBTQ? Well, it's difficult because, you know, we're not voting for a pastor. We're voting for a president. And so obviously I'm not a president, but from a presidential level, I'm sure he feels like he has to not slight certain groups. Uh, from a pastoral standpoint, I'll be like, look, I'm not going to give any extra rights to the LGBT. You know, uh, they and I, we don't, you know, we don't agree. But from a politician standpoint, you know, I obviously don't want somebody like a Pete Buttigieg or whatever his name is, you know, a homosexual being the president of the United States. But as the president of the United States, I think he's doing a good job to at least give equal rights, but he's not one of these individuals that's going to give special rights. The Democratic ticket, they will give the homosexuals all the special rights, which in you know disregarding our rights, it's going to take away our rights to give them all the extra rights that they need. I believe he's I believe he's towing a very difficult line. And so again, he's not a pastor, he is a politician, he is a president, and so he has to speak for all Americans. And in America, there are homosexual Americans. And so I don't think he can deal with that from a theocratic standpoint, right? He, he's a president. And so I, I hope that kind of answers that. But, yeah, I, I get the, the difficult balance of power in, in, in that particular question. Good yeah. question, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, and, and I think that that kind of leads into this whole question, and there's this debate going on about whether we as Christians, we're supposed to be fighting for God's commands or whether we're supposed to be fighting for liberty and freedom. You know, because because it's like like on one hand, there's a lot of you know conservative Christians that'll come in and say we need to vote in God's 
God's word into law. So whether that's dealing dealing with gay marriage, whether that's dealing with um, I'm trying to think of, of other things off the top of my head. Um, but basically what they're saying is like, we need to implement God's commands into law as opposed to the more libertarian thing, which is more hands off. Let's create freedom for everybody. And then they can come in and decide if they want to obey God or they don't want to obey God. What's your, what's your take on that kind of a thing? Do we enforce morality or do we enforce freedom and then let people decide their morality from more of like a political governmental standpoint? Well, I mean, in a perfect world, it'd be great to vote in all of God's laws and have a, you know, a theocratic, you know, type of a situation. But we don't. We have a democratic republic. And so people actually get a voice. Now, you know, the Bible says in Acts chapter five, we got to obey God rather than men. And I'm going to obey, you know, man, I'm going to obey Romans 13, you know, civil authority until it disregards, until it, you know, takes away from the word of God. Then I'm going to obey what the Bible teaches. And so. You know, the Bible doesn't say things are going to get better and better. It says it's going to get worse and worse. And in the last days, there's going to be perilous times and evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. And things are going to get bad. And politically, it's going to fall apart. Hence, you have the coming of Christ because it's not going to, as Bernie says, be a utopian society. Oh, it's going to get gooder and gooder. No, it's going to get worse and worse and worse to the point where Jesus has to show up and fix the whole thing because he gave us the keys to the car and we put it in the ditch. <laughs> and he's got to come and fix us and you know redeem this whole thing. And so I think it's important that we understand, yes, we have to obey the Bible, but in the civilization in which we live, the Bible is not going to be the standard for the faith and practice of the government, but it does need to be the standard for our faith and practice as Bible-believing individuals. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I I, I, to- I totally agree. And I, and, I th- and I think that that's kind of one of the things, too, of leading into this discussion of, on the never-Trumpers, but then also you've got the Democrats on the other side, and it's like... Okay, so you've got people that are very anti-Trump, clearly, but then they'll turn around yeah. and not who are we supposed to vote for? Like, we're supposed to vote for Bernie <laughs> Sanders that says that we're the way to fix global warming is to have more abortions in South America. Are we supposed to be voting right. for AOC, who's worried about cow flatulence? Like, at what? Like, yeah. what's what's the alternative? That's what I don't understand. Is like, I get saying I don't fully support Trump, but what's the alternative? And I don't, I don't, right. I don't see any alternative. It's almost like they, they take away an alternative. It, it's either vote for Trump or stay home and do nothing. And then they're like, well, you know, I, I don't want to vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, guess what? We live in a depraved society. You are always going to vote for the lesser of two evils <laughs> because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There will never be a time in your life that you don't ever get to choose between the lesser of two evils because sin's jacked it all up. It's funny we're having this conversation. Just yesterday in the mail, I got this book. Somebody sent me. They, they want me to uh, to kind of look at it. It's forwarded by Eric McTaxic, McTaxic, I guess his name. God, Trump, and the 2020 election. And uh, so I haven't quite been able to peruse that yet, but that's a, that's a pretty thick book. But I'm telling you, I just don't think there's any other way around the fact that Trump is going to have to be the guy. And so these never-Trumpers, it's crazy to me that they spend so much energy, so much time, so much money bashing, 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 bashing Trump. When we could really turn this nation around in a great way and see the things that we want to see if we would just pull off the blinders and quit listening to CNN. Okay. And then quit listening to Fox News. I don't care. We need to quit listening to fake news altogether. Get our nose out of the newspaper and stick it in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that, uh, that we are living in days that are wicked and vile and only God can turn it around. And if people can't see that Hillary Clinton was just about to win by a landslide, but at the last moment, it was almost like God just reached in and said, let me show you something. I, I got another move here on the chessboard. Boom. And it was just like, wow. People were shocked. You always see the pictures of people screaming, nah, 
You know, they couldn't believe it because it was going to be a runaway victory, but it wasn't because I believe God intervened. And I just don't understand why our evangelical brothers and sisters can't see that. Yeah, well, that, well, that, that's the thing is like when, when you look at history and, and it's been a fascinating thing kind of like looking through history is there's always been empires and they've always gotten close to conquering the world. And I think that that was always Satan behind them trying to establish this one world government, one world religion, like what's prophesied in Revelation, right? You know, you could look at whether the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, more recent Nazi Germany, they always got close and the God was always like, yeah, it's not quite time yet. And then I feel like <laughs> this time around, it was this more globalist idea of we're going to kind of do it from within and unite everybody. And I feel like 2016 was kind of that turning point of God saying, it's not quite time yet. You know, we're going to kind of pull it back. And Trump yep. was kind of that person. And then you had Brexit and things like that. Um, and it's yep. re- it's really fascinating when you look at it from that perspective because it's like you can totally see God's hand in what's going on sure. even in an imperfect person like Trump or any of these other politicians that are out there. Yeah, I call it a space of grace. God has given us this space of grace and we better use these opportunities because, I mean, we're not always going to happen. If Jesus, Terry... It's going to get worse, and we're going to go to jail for things that we believe, and it's not going to be Facebook jail. And so I think God's given us in his divine will this space of grace, and we, we better we better wake up. We better realize that it, it's now or it's never, and we need to unite together as the body of Christ and just get the ball moving down the court. Because the progressives, <laughs> the liberals, the leftists, man, they want to destroy this country. Okay, how in the world they can believe in some of the nonsensical ideas they do, but they are blinded. They are completely, totally blinded. And if we allow them to get their way, we're in a heap of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we had another question off of Facebook uh, from Julie Posey. She was asking about the about what what's your take on the threat of Islam? And I think you know, for me, kind of like looking at that kind of a question too. I think. One of the things that we've been seeing a lot is, are these interfaith dialogues between Christians and Islamic leaders. And it's like we're kind of we're, – we're trying to find this like common ground with them, yeah. right? And I, and I feel like, you know, forget the obvious thing of like terrorism and the political side of things. But even just from like a theological perspective, do you feel like there is a threat to, you know, the spread of Islam within America right now? Yeah, well, one of the things I, I failed to mention the other night at the conference, I was going to close with what I think are the three greatest ills of our day, the three biggest issues that have become social justice issues, and that would be the LGBT, you know, gender relations and all of that, uh, abortion, Planned Parenthood, and Islam. I believe Islam is a massive threat to our theology and to our democracy. And, and Donald Trump knows that. Donald Trump understands that. Now, he does have to delicately balance his, his, presidentialness, if you will, with the fact that there are, you know, Muslim Americans. And so he he has to be careful with that. But as far as the ideology, and that's what I want people to understand. I'm not against individuals. I'm against ideologies. I I know some Muslims that I'm witnessing to, I'm sharing the gospel with, but I've also had uh, the number one Muslim liaison to the White House uh, reach out and contact and want to have that type of a dialogue that I'm not comfortable with. And I said, no, I don't want to be involved in that type of a conference. That's not who I am. Uh, you know, I, I might believe in multi-denomination, but I don't believe in multi-faith. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And uh, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I don't believe Jesus is a way to heaven. I believe he's the one and only way to heaven. And that's a demonstrative doctrine that I believe. And so I believe that Islam is a massive threat to the United States. I think people would understand how evil and threatening it is if they knew how much it's already infiltrated the culture of the United States. And so here's what has happened. Even politically, nowadays, if we say anything against 
Islam, people are like, oh, you're just racist. And so they took a religion and they turned religion into racism. It's just like with the LGBT. They turn all that into racism. If you're against any of that, you're just a racist. You're just a bigot. So now we can't say anything against the structure and the ideology and the false doctrine of Islam because when we do that, all oh, you automatically hate you know, those type of people because of the color of their skin. Listen, I, I know Muslims that are whiter than a bedsheet. Okay? It has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It has everything to do with the damnable heresy that they believe. But yes, I think that... Uh, Jihad is coming, and people don't realize how, and it's patient. That's what people don't realize about the threat of Islam. It, it's not trying to take over in 20 days. It's trying to take over in 40 years. It's very, it's been working behind the scenes for a long, it's no coincidence that we got these ladies in, you know, in these highfalutin political offices now that are 100%, you know, for Islam. And so, yeah, to Julie, I think it was. To your question, it's a huge threat. It's a massive threat. Yeah, and, and I and I think it's it's obvious when you have people like Ilhan Omar and uh, is it Rashid Tlaib? Yeah. I, I always I always forget her name. Like when you have those yeah. those Me women, too. and you know, and, and what, but what they're doing is they're they're trying to whitewash it enough to where it becomes like acceptable here here in the United States and to even to Christians and that sort of thing. But then you start digging a little bit deeper, digging a little bit deeper, and you're just like. Yeah, this does not coincide with what we even just the Constitution. Forget Christianity, just the Constitution. It doesn't even jive with that. Let alone obviously right. Scripture. And I feel like that's where it starts to get dangerous. Is it's like it's not always the obvious thing. It's when you actually get down to the root issues. That's when you really start seeing the problem. And it's the same way. The same thing with social justice. Same thing with progressivism in general. It's it's the same kind of thing. Yes, no doubt about it. Yeah. So, yeah, and so, you know, I, th I think one of the things that, you know, kind of as we're wrapping up a little bit too, but one of the things that I think that we all need to remember as well is that really it, it all comes back to God's word and it all comes back to the gospel. And so I think, you know, as, you know, it's important that we obviously we understand all these other issues, but still I think that one of the main things that we really need to be remembering is if we were actually doing our job and going out and preaching the gospel, whether it's in the streets, to our friends, Anything along those lines, I feel like our country would be way different if we had more people truly saved than what we're seeing right now, which is a very godless society right now. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, that's where you get your first great awakening, your second great awakening. I mean, these these preachers were not just, you know, leaders of great movements religiously. They were leaders of great movements politically because everybody's political view was through the lens of Scripture. There was such revival. There was such gospel preaching. There was such magnificent power of God. You know, like I said at the conference, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. That was the message. That's what brought about the conviction. But now we've swapped the holiness of God and sinfulness of man for this motivational pop psychology, you know, do better type of a gospel. You know, oh, every day is a Friday. You know, everything's just all good in the hood. And, uh, and because of that, people see no need to repent. People see no need to get right with God. They don't understand the principle of fasting and prayer and the power and the authority of the word of God and the autonomy of the local church. They don't understand even the, the, the slightest. They're, they're just so, you know, American Christianity is far too American and not nearly enough Christian. And we have got to get back to the basics of the word of God because, yes, if we would be the people of God that he's called us to be, if my people, which are called by my name, if we'll humble ourselves and we pray and we seek the face of God and we turn from our wicked ways, and we do what God calls to do, preach the gospel. That is the message that we have to preach. And when we do that and we see people converted and we see lives changed, it would change the culture. 
But like you said, we're letting the culture change us rather than allowing the message that we have to change the culture around us. And so we, we've got to get out there and we've got to propagate the message. It is the only hope we have. And it's the only hope they have. Yeah. Now, are, now, are you are you optimistic for the future of our country, or are you or are you more pessimistic? Because because I'll ask that question to different you know pastors that are fighting against this kind of like leftist takeover of the church and things like that. Some of them will say, "Yeah, we can we can totally destroy this thing and we'll do it." Other people will say, "No, like we're not going to be able to actually destroy this thing, but we can hold it off for a longer period of time." What's your take on that? On like the realistically the future of the church, but then also like the future of our country as well. I think that we are only going to be able to hold it off for a certain amount of time, but I'm super optimistic about that because I think it is giving us this opportunity to continue to preach. I believe we're going to see God do some great things. I believe we're going to see you know people's lives change. I, I think God's just given us this chance to reach as many people as we possibly can. So I don't think we're going to defeat it. I don't even think the Bible tells us that we're going to defeat it because it's got to get bad. Things have got to get worse. It's going to be filled with debauchery. It's got to be so bad. I mean, people are going to want to, you know, accept this embodiment of the Antichrist. And so it's going to have to get to a place where things are really, really bad. And so, yeah, it's going to get worse and worse and worse because Jesus told me it was. But I'm optimistic that we still have a good long time, perhaps, maybe not too long, but however long it is, we have a lot of time to preach the Bible, to get people's lives transformed, to watch the power of God, you know, put homes back together. And so I'm optimistic from that standpoint that, man, I'm going to keep preaching. I believe God's raising up an army. I believe he's raising up a lot of warriors. I believe he's raising up, you know, TV shows and podcasts and books and people on Facebook and, and churches and, you know, just unknown people that are just going to get a voice. I believe he's going to give us this last opportunity. One, one final, whether it's a final revival or a final harvesting, whatever you want to call it. I believe he's just going to give us this one late, you know, last day's opportunity to really preach the power of the gospel. And it's going to hold it off for a while, but then mm, literally all hell is going to break loose and uh, you, you better be ready. It's coming to a town near you. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's true. And, and I think also it's important, it's important for people to remember too, like when we look at whenever there was these great revivals or reformations or whatever it was, you know, whether it was, we see it in the old Testament, we saw it with Jesus and the apostles, see it with the Reformation. I mean, it, it was always a small handful of people who took on the big establishment and yeah. God used these small, imperfect... I mean, Martin Luther, kind of a messed up dude. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. he took on the Catholic Church and he essentially started the Reformation. I mean, God used this imperfect dude who later on went, went down the road. Yeah, he had a lot of messed up things, said a lot of crazy things. Yeah. But he took the right stand at the right time and God, and God used that for his purposes. And I think that we can remember that now as, as crazy and bad as it seems, the, our biggest denomination is tumbling before our eyes with the SBC and things like that. God can still use a handful of, of people that are willing to do something. So then it's just a matter of, are we going to be obedient or are we going to actually do something? Or are we just going to say, uh, you know, we can't do anything else. Right. And it's always when things are at their worst that God's word shines the brightest. I mean, every time you ever see revival, it's always when things are bad and deplorable and politically, you know, just just wickedness. And then all of a sudden, the power of God just steps in. That's just how God works. And so I'm super optimistic that God's going to do it again. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So if people are watching this and they want to uh, be following more of you or your teaching or anything along those lines, what's the best way for people to, you know, be in touch with like you putting out your sermons or messages or videos or anything along those lines? Uh, most people find me through, you know, just Pastor Greg Locke, L-O-C-K-E, on Facebook. We just started a Pastor Greg Locke sermons page. 
And that directly links to our YouTube channel. It's Global Vision Bible Church is the church that I pastor. And so if you go to Global Vision Bible Church on YouTube, you'll get every week, every Sunday and every Wednesday, all of our expository messages, verse by verse, line by line. And so those are the easiest way to connect with us. And then then all my handles, whether it's, you know, TikTok or whether it's Twitter or Instagram, that's just always at Pastor Locke. And so they, they can find us there and we always put messages, short ones and long ones. Definitely, yeah. Well, th- thanks so much for coming on. I, re- I really enjoy this. Really appreciate you being a part of, you know, coming on the podcast. Also being a part of the conference this last weekend. Uh, it's it's been a blast, you know, hear- hearing your take on a lot of the issues. Because again, it's one of those things we need more people that are willing to actually go out there and take a stand and you know be blunt with yes, the sir. truth. You know, so yeah, I really appreciate it. Amen. Yes, sir. Anytime, man. Glad to help. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And then for everybody else out there watching as well, uh, don't forget we've got if you go to socialinjusticebook.com, you can go and order that. Uh, we'll get those uh, books shipped right out to you as well. You can get, you can use the code Jeff, get 10% off. Um, but yeah, we want to do whatever we can to uh, get the information to you. So if there's ever any issues or financial things or whatever it is, message me, email me. I'll make sure we get you a copy as well. So, uh, But yeah, definitely uh, thank you so much to everybody tuning in. And we shall uh, go ahead and uh, I, th- I believe that our next episode will be in a couple of weeks. And, um, and then one last thing as well, if you guys would like more of this kind of content, you can go over to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in and, uh, all of our videos roll into that membership and, uh, we're going to be having some exclusive podcasts in there as well, as well as you'll actually get a bigger discount, uh, in our store as well. I believe we're, we're going to be giving a uh, 30% off to all members, uh, for any kind of resource that you want that we're going to be carrying in our store. So you can do that as well and uh but yeah thanks for thanks thanks so much for tuning in i uh, really enjoyed having pastor lock on here as well and we shall see you guys next time thanks The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Football is back, and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code CAPITAL, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.